Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and we are diving back into Revelation chapter number 19, starting off in verse number 11 as we meet Jesus. Oh, what a powerful vision he is to behold here in Revelation 19. Of course, we understand that we're not looking at the Lamb of God anymore. Those days have passed. We're looking at the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He who sits in authority above all mankind. We're looking at that guy. And my goodness, how powerful, how mighty, just, I don't know, words fail to describe the reality of what we will see when we see Jesus. Words just fail to describe it. One thing I can assure you of is that this world is not ready for this Jesus right here. This world is not ready to see this. It's not ready to experience the authority of power of this. And so we're going to get into it. Because honestly speaking, I, I don't think that a lot of us are ready for this. <laughs> I think that we, we have had a watered-down vision of Jesus for many decades. I think that we've we've kind of lost sight of the reality of the authority of the power of the presence of Jesus. Uh, we we've certainly in some directions of of the Christian faith turned it into a circus uh, and in some directions of the Christian faith we've locked it down into an absolutism of authority and 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 have gone psychotic to the, to the nth degree just like what we saw yesterday in the the book of Proverbs in chapter number 4 where you've you've gone uh, way over to the left or you've gone way over to the right, but in either case, you've missed the point of Christ entirely. And I think that's exactly where we've come. And so we, we really need to study this out today just to get the, the fullness of a sense of what it is that is being revealed here. But I'm telling you, it's powerful. So let's, let's ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you and pray that we will have a right sense of our Jesus, Lord, that as we read these verses, that we would receive in our hearts the vision of the King. Lord, we are subjects of this precious King. And as such, I pray that we would learn to conduct ourselves as Christians, Lord, realizing that we are servants of the one true king well thank you and praise you for the way in which you give us ability to transform our thinking through thy word in the blessed name of jesus today amen so the scripture goes down with it with a description and we'll read through the description and then i'm going to have to stop there just to marvel over a few beautiful things we touched on lightly on tuesday the scripture goes forward to say, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, 
that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, praise Praise the Lord. That's <laughs> all I could say about that. It's very powerful because the the connection that we have as we look at this vision that is shown of Jesus, and I know that there are a lot of different pictures. There's a there's a drawing that is made about Jesus from that uh, young man that that the movies made of uh, that that had claimed to go to heaven, and he and he drew this this picture of what Jesus looked like and there's there's been several of the renaissance period of history where pictures would be drawn of course most of those have been discovered that they've been uh, paintings or pictures of of either popes or the the sons of popes in one case which they're not supposed to be married and be celibate but of course we understand that how that works is where your orphanages came from but nevertheless you have this scenario where where there are a lot of different images that that are going around a lot of different artworks that claim that this is the way that Jesus looked even to include people believing the shroud of Turin as as being the the burial shroud that would cover the face of Jesus which meh but the the end result is that we have this scenario where Jesus doesn't look like any of those things as as the way in which he is described here uh, by John both in Revelation chapter number 1 and consistently to Revelation chapter number 19 as there are many of the same similarities that exist there and so that you will find, for instance, in verse number 11, he said, I, Behold, I saw heaven open and a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Of course, we know in righteousness he judges, for that is what he had spoken of concerning John chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 46 and moving to 50, where he said, that the word shall judge them in the last day. The word that I have spoken. And we understand that the word that Jesus spoke was not his, but all that the Father gave him. So that we know that, that his judgment that will be upon both us is the church, the saved, as revealed in 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse 17, where judgment begins. So for us as well, as for those that, that are of the world, those that are lost, his judgment is going to be true and it is going to be faithful because it is going to be from the written word of God so that there is no bias or personal nature to the judgment, but a clear-cut judgment based on the immutable, that means unchanging, word of God. The description that we get from verse number 12, here we see that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Exactly the same thing as Revelation chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 15. On his head were many crowns. A new addition, which is really exciting because we understand from, from Revelation chapter number 6, when the, the uh, Antichrist white horse rider was revealed, he was revealed as only having one crown, and at that, the crown was given to him by the nations that he was to rule over. 
In this case, you see that Jesus wears many crowns, but only one of them is, is of most importance to me personally. Now, I understand that Jesus shall wear the crown of righteousness, certainly, for he is. Jesus shall wear a martyr's crown, for he had been martyred for our sake by, by his own people. Uh, but the, the one crown above all the other crowns that he wears it is most precious is the judgment crown. And that is revealed in John chapter number 5. Again, beginning in verse number 20, working to verse number 25, it says that all judgment is given unto the Son so that they may honor the Son as they honor the Father. In this connection here, so the crown of judgment is applied to Jesus, and as he sits upon his throne, he makes judgment upon sin. He, he is the answer to God for the nature of sin. And it comes down, and, and it says to us that he has a name written that no one knows except himself, which is pretty exciting because there is a name that he has for each one of us as revealed in Revelation chapter number 2, verse number 17, that he applies to a white stone. Of course, we talked about that white stone and, and the deliverance that it represents. And on that stone will have a name that is written that only he and you will know. Well, of course, he himself has a name that is written that no one knows except himself. And so we get to meet our Jesus for the first time. We actually get to know his name. Because understand, the, the name Jesus is as much a name as it is a title. That's kind of important to understand. It's kind of like Adam. Uh, we meet Adam when... when he is created, of course, and Eve comes from his side, but we also understand that as much as his name is is given to him, a name for the man, Adam, we also know that that is the name of the creation of that creature as mankind. So, uh, it's very important for us to understand that when we speak of Jesus, when we speak of of him as a person, we are also referring to the very hope that we have in God unto what his t the title of his name means, which is salvation. So as every time we speak the name of Jesus, we speak salvation. We speak the name of salvation, for that is exactly what Yeshua means in Hebrew. So that we get a chance to be able to see that his he was clothed with a with a robe dipped in blood, and it's very important to understand that throughout the scripture it's often referred to as the washing of regeneration, renewing. Uh, it's also known as the the blotting out of the transgressions. Is that the blood is that which has covered us, and it is because it is His own blood, but it's the blood of righteousness, or should I say, He's covered with a robe that is dipped in life. Of course, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So understand that that this this robe that He shall be that is He shall be wearing 
is dipped. Now, this word dipped right here that you see at verse number 13, I don't look at it in a couple of different translations just to see if if you're seeing the same word uh, that I'm seeing. Dipped, yeah, okay. Dipped, yeah, okay. Soaked, this particular, the complete Jewish Bible, it says soaked. Uh, amen to that. And King James and New King James, ESV, CSB, they, they, they all say dipped. Now, it's very important, this word dipped, because you can transliterate that word. That means that you actually have a word that you could cross right over to that, and it won't harm the definition of it at all. And that is, his, he was clothed with the robe baptized in blood. That word baptizo, baptismo, either way, the derivatives, uh, all, both, they, they refer to being dipped, or as it was in the complete Jewish Bible, soaked. And this is very important because this is the nature of, of what is called for baptism, and it's, and it's the way it's to be administered, is to be dipped or to be soaked. And so it comes down, and it says his name is called the Word of God. Amen. And and there are so many different places in the writings of John, and this is important to understand because of the literary style of John. So you, you go to John chapter number 1. You start off with, with Jesus being the Word, okay, capitalized. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You move down to verse number 14. You see the Word became flesh. <clears throat> now, you, you listen all through the book of John. It, he constantly connects Jesus and the Word, so, such as that which is going to judge you. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge you in the last days, concerning John chapter number 12. And then you move over to the letters of John, and, and a lot of translations, by the way, they're going to leave this out, but you move over to the translations of John, and or translations, <laughs> you move to the letters of John, and you're going to see in 1 John chapter number 5 at verse number 7 that there are three that, that bear record in heaven. And he says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And so it's very important to understand that this, this is the literary style of John. And that's one of the principal reasons why I believe most of the translations leave that particular section out in, in chapter or 5, verse number 7 of, of 1 John, the letter. But I don't believe that they should do that because it carries forth the style of the writing of John. It keeps the consistency of everything we see about John. And I think that, they, that all of these modern translations completely remove an understanding about the authority of God, about the person of Jesus, when they just flippantly take this stuff completely out. And so, uh, be very careful when you consider modern translations as you're reading through them, because uh, you, you may be missing out on a lot of detail and a lot of great stuff, and, and the question is begged, why? Why would you take this out? Why would you remove this? Even to the point where you would say, uh, to defend your translation, you would say, well, it didn't get removed. It's just out of the main flow of the text, and it's in that little itty-bitty fine print at the bottom of the page, 
so that they say, well, some manuscripts remove this, and then they'll they'll write it there, so you'll be able to see it. Why why take all of the additional effort to do this when when it fits what is written fits the flow of the context of the way in which the author writes? Why remove it to begin with, or? Is it that you can't remove it entirely because that would get you in trouble for people like me who are paying close attention, but you don't want it in the flow of the text because you know that the majority of people aren't going to look at those footnotes. They're just going to read through the text and they're going to breeze right past it and not teach the point, which then eliminates a part of your understanding of God. Hmm, just saying... So it comes down, and, and it reveals himself, the word of God. Now, the armies in heaven. By the way, the armies in heaven, that's you, and that's me. That The armies in heaven are, are the, the children of God that have been prepared by God to return with Jesus where he's going. In specific, we're dealing with the church. In specific, we're dealing with the church because we're also dealing with a, a promise that is made in in John chapter number 14. Remember when Jesus said, where I am, there you shall be also, and that we would never be separated from Jesus. Of course, we understand that in 1 Thessalonians 4, at the trumpet call, when, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds of the air, we understand that we will be evermore with the Lord. And so as Jesus is returning, so shall we return with him. And we represent this position of being the armies in heaven. We're clothed with fine linen, which obviously we've looked through the scriptures as being the linen of the saints that, that we had talked about over in uh a, robe, a white robe like revealed by the martyred saints. Everybody's going to get one of those, praise God. Uh, not because we've been martyred, because that's the standard issued clothing that we're going to be wearing when we get to heaven, because each one of those robes is covered by the blood of Christ. That's why they're clean and beautiful and fine linen. It's white and clean. We followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. If, if you know the purpose of this sword, now, it's not like he opens his mouth and because he swallowed a sword and he's just going to pull the handle of a sword and rip it out of his mouth. But what we find coming out of his mouth is the power and authority of the Word of God. As revealed in, in Hebrews chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 12, as it tells us, the Word of God is is quick and it's dynamic, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is what's proceeding from his mouth. Out of his mouth goeth a, a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Now, it's the very word of God that's going to strike the nations. It's the word of God that strikes, strikes the nations today. It's the word of God that drives the kings of the earth into derision. It's the word of God that has caused multitudes to hunt down and destroy uh, faithful believers. It's the word of God that, that brings such a derision uh, in this world because as has been revealed in many different parts of the world, nobody cares if you're a Buddhist, nobody cares if you're a Hindu, nobody cares if, 
if if even if you're Muslim, nobody cares. But Christians are 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 hunted all over the world, in all of these different nations and their religious beliefs. Christians are being hunted in Islamic nations and Hindu nations and and Buddhist nations. They're, they're being hunted and slaughtered because they they're despised and rejected. Nobody cares about the religions of the world. It's just everybody cares about Christ. They hate Christ because he can make the change that no other God can do. Scripture says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with it, he should strike the nations. And he himself, this is what's going to happen in in the next chapter, by the way, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, also is recognized in Revelation chapter number 12, about verse number 5 and 6, is revealing that rod of iron. He himself... Now, this, this is the point is that it reiterates the, the very nature of his authority in himself. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. I remember that in, in Revelation chapter number 14 when the angel was called to thrust in his sickle and gather the, the clusters of the grapes. Now, as understanding the first angel recognizes Jesus thrust in his sickle, and at one gleaning he gathers his wheat into his barns, but that the second angel, known as Death, or the fourth horseman, the pale horse rider, is to thrust in his sickle repeatedly, gathering at points of time the clusters that would be brought into the wine press of the wrath of God and that he treads out that press and that the blood rises to the bridle of the the horse's bit in his mouth for I think it was like 16 or 1800 miles needless to say it is Jesus who is given the authority of that crown to tread the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and it will be tread that moment is coming And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the very authority of Jesus. And and it was brought to my attention that some folks believe that that's okay for them to get tattoos because look at Jesus. There's a a name written on his thigh. He's got a a tattoo on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords and, and, and all of this nonsense is nonsense. That, that... What In what way do you know how this is written to begin with? But we cannot, as much as we want to try and justify tattoos, and by the way, I'm one of those guys that's that's got some, so it's, it's, it's like um, a position of understanding what the Scripture says about these markings that have been made on my own flesh, as understanding that, that there's no judgment coming at you right now if you've inked yourself up with all kinds of Christian art, supposedly trying to make your your body some kind of uh, artistic vessel to the Lord. Uh, I'm pretty sure the way that he originally made you was exactly the way that he desired for you to be, for the, the, the means by which we cover ourselves in art is to say that, that what was originally under the canvas wasn't good enough, but that's all beside the point. Most people are getting this this ink because they believe themselves to be cool, or they, they're trying to fit in with a crowd. They're trying to 
to assimilate themselves into a tribe, as it was, of people who are doing the same thing so that they can be united together with them. But it's, it's really all foolishness anyways, as the warning has been given to us over in Deuteronomy that we ought to make no cuttings in the flesh of any images that would, that would be glorifying anything uh, uh, of the gods around us. So it's very important to understand that the second commandment tells us not to make any image of or likeness of God. <laughs> so we're getting these things like they, these crosses on us. We're getting the face of Jesus on us. But that's those are images that are in the the likeness or in the image of God. We're getting all of this stuff, and it, and it specifically tells us not to make any cuttings in the flesh or, or to have any brandings that would be done on us. So it's something that you're going to have to come across because I'm not making any judgment against anybody. I'm just bringing out the reality that, that Jesus in his authority over us, and by the way, that, that brings us under subject to the law of God as being his children. We are answerable to his law in the manner which we serve him. So it, it isn't something that saves us, but it's certainly something that we are called to be obedient to in service to him. And many of us have ignored that little nugget too. So we go forth living our lives the way that we choose to live them without any without any uh, burden at all about should we or shouldn't we be doing certain things that we do, going in certain directions that we go, or or what have you. And it's just a kind of a kind of a a, a warning cry as it was, because we will stand before the King of Kings. We will be answerable to this, the Lord of Lords. And how will you stand in that day? We come down, <clears throat> verse number 17 is very powerful uh, speech that this particular angel is, is providing to the world in, in verse number 17. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Ah, to be those angels and standing there right in the sun. And and as you would consider that that this angel must be of some considerable size. The sun isn't going to affect him at all because it's been in the radiance of the glory of God and the sun pales in comparison without question. But that from 90, what is it, 93 million miles away from the earth, we would be able to see this angel standing in the sun. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Guy isn't even talking to, to people anymore. Mankind at this point has, has been leveled to the position of being brute beast, and, and he's not even talking to them anymore. He's talking to the birds that, that are flying in the sky. In specific, I think he's talking to maybe condors or vultures or buzzards or these, these type of flesh-eating birds. And, and he says, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And wow, 
<laughs> now, to carry on that thought, you look at verse number 21. It says, The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And very important to understand that. But, digressing to the point that that from the command of the birds to be gathered together and the Lord speaking the, his his word over this scenario, his word of judgment over the scenario that the the armies that be gathered together there in that moment, this great battle of Armageddon, this this great this great moment in in the history of mankind where he finally comes head to head with God and the rebellious are struck down, that it isn't going to be a very long moment here. It's going to be a very short battle is understanding that the 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 kings of the earth have gathered themselves together to make war with 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 the Lord and and that the, the very principle of the river Euphrates is we remember the seventh bowl that was poured out was to dry up that river Euphrates so that the kings of the east could come to the west and and the ultimate destruction that would that would ensue when Jesus speaks the word of God and all of these are raised to the ground. They're just slaughtered. They, they, they die, literally. I mean, it's like Ananias and Sapphira. you got a whole field full of people with weapons uh, prepared to, to fight, and then Jesus just speaks the word, and their, their souls are just ripped from them. They just drop. There's just a bunch of valley of dry bones at that point in, in Ezekiel. It's just a valley of dry bones. They just drop. They're dead. It's over. It's just amazing. And the birds were filled with their flesh. That's a tough truth. But one of my favorite places in this whole scenario is right here in verse 19 and 20. I love this. He said, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. Now, I saw the beast. Now, is this Satan? Is this Antichrist? It just says, I saw the beast. Now, the false prophet is out of the picture at this point because the false prophet was stripped bare of his authority and he was ultimately destroyed. He was ultimately, along with the whole of the religion, conquered or or captured and destroyed by the antichrist and so that it's a very important and because of that destruction of chapter 17 we see the the destruction of the secular kingdom of chapter 18 that would bring us to this position where the only thing that 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 antichrist has left is to make war with god literally and 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 get those armies together for one last battle which he does and and he says i saw the beast i believe that to be the antichrist the kings of the earth whom he's been leading for the last seven years and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army against jesus and us that's not going to fare well said then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who works signs in his presence. So apparently the false prophet, though he has been exposed and though that kingdom has been 
brought down to the ground was in fact still alive he he was uh, gathered together with this crew for the last ditch effort to to strike the world to be free from god but this is the beautiful part the, the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. A little bit of instruction, a little bit of information about that false prophet. Because that false prophet has, for this whole time, carried more authority. He's carried more weight than the Antichrist himself, because that false prophet has direct link and connection with the hearts of man, whereas the Antichrist simply ruled over them. And so it's very important to understand the connection of religion to the heart of man versus the the secular guidance of any particular kingdom or king. So the beast was captured, and with him, the false prophet who works signs in his presence by which he deceived the, na- the nations who received the mark of the beast and those worshipped his image. And these two, oh, pay attention to this, guys. Very important. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire. Cast alive. Now, where's the lake of fire? Burning with brimstone. Where is that? Now, we, we understand that this same lake of fire is going to come back into existence in the next chapter of 20. We understand that that this lake of fire is called the second death. And we, we shall see at the judgment seat of Christ that, that at the end of all things, the judgment being rendered, that the dead shall be ushered off in the lake of fire. And that's where they'll be. So it's important to realize that that not only did the false prophet and the beast, which aren't supernatural people, they're just regular average people who have been empowered by Satan. There's no question about that. But they're not some kind of superhuman. They're just empowered humans by the way you can be as a child of God, an empowered human uh, serving the Lord in faithfulness is the Holy Spirit gives you ability to serve your king. So you also can be an empowered human being in the service of the Lord, just like these other knuckleheads have been empowered by uh, th- that that dragon or Satan to gain an an authority over the hearts of mankind during this period of time so that they have been snatched up alive. By the way, this is a very important word you see, alive. In other words, they didn't die. That the birds of the air didn't feast upon their flesh. For they were alive when they were snatched up by Jesus and cast into that lake of fire. And it's very important to keep that in your heart, to keep that in your mind, because when we see them again, it will be at the time when Satan's going to be cast into that lake of fire and the finality of Satan's destruction become fulfilled. 
And when Satan, after after this moment here, for a, an additional thousand years, Satan then shall be thrown into that lake of fire. And, and you're going to see that the beast and the false prophet are still there. They don't get burned up. People are not going to be annihilated for they, they are not capable of being annihilated. This is something that I don't understand about Jehovah's Witnesses, certainly about Mormons and several other uh, religions that would believe in annihilation, the doctrine of annihilation where you just get burned up and eviscerated and you're gone and there's nothing left of you. That's an impossibility for you are created in the image of God and his likeness and you are an eternal being. Now that you will not be with God, you will not you will spend your eternity separated from God. Whereas those who have become the children of God are going to be with God for an eternity, understanding that you are created an eternal being and you don't just eviscerate and poof, eternal beings. It doesn't work that way. You've got to have a place of eternal existence for you to dwell in, for you are never going to end. And for those who have rejected God, their place of eternal dwelling is a place of torment that will be faced eternally, for they have rejected the hope of life that was provided them through the gift of His only begotten Son, Jesus. And for those who have received Jesus, they, they are to dwell with God in, through their eternity because they have accepted his promise and received his forgiveness to be able to enter into it. Guys, this isn't complicated stuff. This isn't difficult. This is truth. And it's that simple. So the beast was captured without question, with him the false prophet. It would be pretty easy at this point because as Jesus speaks the word, all of their army that surrounds them falls to the ground dead, except for them. Now the beast was captured and him with the false prophet who worked all this stuff in his mirror. And these two are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. You're not going to stop the work of God. Now, one thing I really want to cover just as as a moment here. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20 tomorrow on Friday. Uh, but this one thing I want you to see, verses 1 to 3 of Revelation chapter number 20. Just going to read through this, and I want you to see one thing. He said, Then I, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. Thousand years. There are a lot of different traditions within, within the realm of Christianity that do not believe in the millennial reign of Christ or the thousand-year reign of Christ. There are a lot of uh, even modern-day religions who, who make the claim that this is not something that's going to happen. They don't even believe in it. 
But I do not understand what they do not understand about this because it is clearly written right here in Revelation 20 as well as the the parables of the kingdom of heaven that would be revealed in Matthew in chapter 25 and chapter 24. These kingdom of heaven parables that are being spoken are dealing with this period of time of the thousand year reign. For that is the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is being a time that exists in this modern day where the saints are brought into this kingdom through their faith in Jesus, their confession of sins unto salvation. They enter into the kingdom as well as into the family, and upon their baptism they enter into the church. And so it's very important that you understand these five things that we're going to have to do another study on. That is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the family of God, the church, and Israel. Very important to keep those things in mind. So this period of the thousand years that is going to exist at this point is going to be the kingdom of heaven where Jesus literally establishes his kingdom on this earth ruling and reigning with that rod of iron over those that remain on the earth who were unbelievers uh, of, of Jesus. And he's going to rule over them. And it's going to last a thousand years with several generations of people as they, they are in the world and as they pass. And, and then there is going to be Satan being loosed and, a, and a, an army gathered together for another quick hurrah, which will end in disaster for them because they will be brought before the throne of God and, and judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And know the people of the generations of the earth that shall be ruled over by Jesus during the period of this thousand years will not be people who, who will be capable of entering into uh, heaven as it was or entering into uh, necessarily the salvation because it is, it is done. It is over for them. They, they had the opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. T today is the day to get saved. They're not going to be able to have that opportunity because they're not going to be facing the grace of God through the lamb that was slain. They're going to be dealing with the king of kings and the rod of iron. So it's very important for us to understand that as well. We got to be given a warning, guys. We got to be given a warning. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking for that blessing be upon us, that we may finish this day and dive into Revelation 20 tomorrow, that we may be able to glean the fullness of the sins of that thousand years and our place in it. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you tomorrow for Revelation 20 and the millennial reign of Christ. Take care.